I have recorded more than 20 episodes of the Sports Mentoring Project. In this one, I lose control of the interview completely, and I loved every minute of it. My next guest has been a professional athlete since the 1970s. During a 23-year span, he won 16 championships. On route to one of them, he once went over 337 miles per hour. He has three daughters who have competed with him in his sport. One of them won a championship of her own. Beyond the speed and trophies was struggle, heartache, pain, and the death of a teammate in competition. He has broken dozens of bones and has literally been on fire more times than he can remember. As a child, he lived on Native American reservations, migrant farms, and in logging camps and trailer parks. He survived polio. If all of this sounds like a reality show, that's because it actually was. The show aired on A&E in the mid-2000s. On top of it all, he may be the most quotable person in sports history. He gives Yogi Berra a run for his money. Speaking of the Yankees, owners of 27 World Championship, this guy's team isn't far behind with 21. He's 72 years old and he could barely sit in his seat when he told me stories about his life, family, and career. And as you will hear, he is showing no signs of slowing down because of as of this recording, he is in second place for his 17th championship. NHRA drag racer, John Force. Hold on tight. Here we go. John Force, welcome to the Sports Mentoring Project. It's good to see you, my friend. Good to be here. Thanks for having me on your show. Been a while right. since I've seen you. It sure has. In Chicago. And you're the first person to join from a race shop, so that's pretty cool. We had Jimmy Johnson on the podcast. His backdrop wasn't as cool as yours. Uh, he's great, though, what he's doing in IndyCar. And, and uh, uh, I think it's Carvana I keep seeing him with. We're in my museum here in Yorba Linda. And uh, those are my heroes, guys. Guys like him, Tony Stewart and, and uh, Jeff Gordon and Earnhardt Sr. and the kid, you know, Jr. I go back with all of them. That's how old I am. <laughs> well, we're going to just jump right into it. And we're going to start from the beginning. Who is your greatest mentor? You know, I got to look at my, my mom, my dad was a, was a truck driver, uh, hard worker. Uh, we traveled a lot. We were gypsies living in a trailer house with five brothers and sisters up and down the coast of California, Washington, Oregon. Uh, and my mom was a cook. Uh, I was a cook in Denny's restaurant. I, I, I've done a little bit of everything, but my mom taught me to love my family, uh, to, to be, the, you know, to love what you do, whatever it is. You know, I had polio as a kid and, and uh, talk about the pandemic now. I was, well, we weren't talking about it, but uh, I got caught. I was born in 49 and I got polio in the 50s, 51. And, uh, but I was able to come out of it and walked and played ball. That's why I got a race car to do the running for me. But <laughs> my dad showed me the tough side, get up, go to work every day and live it and give 110%, 150%. And my mom taught me, no matter what anybody does wrong, always, always love your family and, and love your neighbor. Don't, well, I won't get into religion, but, but uh, walk in another man's shoes before you, before you make a decision on him. And then along came Gene Beaver, my uncle Beavs, uh, that ran funny cars in the early days and dragsters with my cousins, the Condits. He taught me the sport. 
Uh, my mom was a talker, taught me how to talk. Uh, she was a real, my dad never said much. My mom said everything. She was, a, she run our family. But then when I got into it, uh, along comes my hero, Don the Snake for Dome. Who doesn't love him? Still to this day, he's my hero. I still try to be like him, you know. Uh, but there was Gartlets, there was Shirley, um, the Mongoose, there was Raymond Beetle, there was so many. And then in, then in NASCAR, Earnhardt, I loved him to death. And IndyCar, uh, you know, Bobby Rahal, my, my daughter married his son, Graham, uh, that drives an IndyCar. And, uh, uh, but the list just goes on and on. Well, what, what would you say to mom and dad if they were here right now? I miss you, and I'll be coming to you soon. So uh, it, uh, just that uh, I, I tried to live life the way you told me, uh, mom, uh, to love everybody around me and never hate anybody. There are still some people I don't get along with that I try to fix, and you can't fix them. Maybe it's me, but my dad taught me how to fight and how to work, and I've always done that. I had my butt kicked a bunch of times, but I stood up for what I believed in and uh, still do. And, um, but just to tell them I miss you, and my children, your, your grandchildren, and your great-grandchildren, uh, all, all, all part of the racing. And, and, and uh, 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 my granddaughter, uh, she just turned 17. Uh, she's driving junior dragster. She's moving up. That's Robert and Adra's daughter. Uh, Ashley, that drove funny car, her two boys, uh, Jacob and Nora driving juniors. And, 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 and Ashley, now that she's not driving, runs our TV production. But her husband, Daniel Hood, runs my car, just put me in the winter circle at Epping and Charlotte. So uh, uh, we're still fighting to fight at 72 years old. It just don't get old. I love the cheer of the crowd and putting on a helmet. Well, I know you're going to be with us for a long time. And I wanted to go back and talk about one of your heroes. You mentioned Don the Snake Prudhomme. What was his superpower? There was just something about him. He ought to be in the Marvel uh, comics. There was just something about the way he walked. Uh, hell, I even remember trying to imitate how he walked, trying to be cool. <laughs> but he just was a guy that was all racer. You know, the, the real truth is what he said. You know, that's how he was. And I'm a big old storyteller, so I tell stories, you know, all the time. and never lie, but I embellish. And, and uh, I just uh, – and, and to watch him win and – and, and I'm still chasing him, and he's not even racing, and I'm still chasing him. <laughs> What's your superpower? Um, I, well, it isn't that I'm smart, okay? Uh, I just, I, you know, I guess there's an old saying. If you throw enough, I'll, I'll clean my act up. If you throw enough poop on the wall, sooner or later, the wall gets painted, okay? But in the end, it's still poop. And that is how I've lived my life. I ran down a road into walls. I fought it. I did whatever it took. Uh, I mean, I'll never forget my first crew cab pickup truck. It had brute force on the side of it. It was a Chevrolet from Don Steve Chevrolet out here in California. It had a sleeper on the back. I didn't even have a trailer that pulled on a fifth wheel. It had CB antennas. And a guy ran over and said, Force, my rig stuck out there in the line trying to get in Orange County. Can I use your CB to call him? And I said, I don't have a CB. And the guy goes, well, why do you got antennas? I said, so I look like you big guys. And it was, they realized I was full of it then, right? And to this day, it's all, it's all the image of what you do. And now I do have CBs. I got 18 wheelers. I got it all. 
but uh, uh, that's how you lived. You wanted to be like those guys, do burnouts, race them, didn't care if you can beat them, just hope to see yourself on TV. And that's how I lived, that's how I lived my life. So my superpower, uh, that the one superpower maybe I got, I never take no for an answer. I never give up. I find a way. And at 72, I'm still trying to find a way. Well, I know you're also a big football fan, a big sports fan, but football, and I'll, I'll use the reference as coaching tree, right? You th- think about all these great coaches that have groomed other coaches to go on and do, be head coaches elsewhere and have this great impact. And I look at you and all the people that you've mentored, you know, Tony Petragon and your daughters and Robert. And I mean, can you pick one and tell me what are the qualities of this person? And, and what makes them great? What, what, make, what's, what makes them a great mentee? Everybody's a little different, but I'll use Robert Hyde. He's president of my company. He'll take this company over and take it on. You know, I'll still be out there at the races. You know what I'm saying? But I want to be part of it because I love it. I, I love what NHRA has done for us. They just brought in uh, Camping World. Uh, Cromwell works really uh, hard to keep the sport alive and the sport of NHRA, Peter Clifford. Uh, it's a lot of work. Getting through this pandemic was really tough. And Robert was right there by my side to the point we had to talk to each other like, it's starting to get rough, the communication, you know, and uh, just that the fact that to be together seven days a week, because we lived it. We don't have hobbies. We race. We come to work on Saturdays and Sundays. And we did that for over a year. And But Robert is a guy that tells you exactly how it is, even if it makes you mad. I go, can't we kind of embellish it a little bit, Robert? And yet he had the qualities of the truth. If he did does good in a car, he gives you the real interview. I did good. If he does bad, he tells you, I didn't. He just honest. And that's what Auto Club and Chevrolet, they love about him. They uh, peak. They love my stories in Blue Death. They love my great stories that I come up with. Robert tells you what went on in that race car. And what he tells you is the truth. And, 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 and a lot of drivers are that way. And a lot of them are very uh, theatric like me. Uh, but we both get the job done. So everyone's a little different. But w- Robert has a work ethic. He's up every morning at 6. He's in the office before everybody. He lives it. And he never, he never gets tired. And he lives that race car. He, you know, he could have went to the Olympics as a professional shooter. But that gave him the eye to train on something where he could come out and win. And he come out and won championships. He only drove for a few years and he's the world champion. And now he's, he's won a number of championships. But understand, Robert, myself, Brittany won championships. Courtney, uh, Ashley, they all won races. Uh, in the middle of all this, it's, it's that one, it's the people you surround yourself with. Great tuners like Austin Coyle and Bernie Federley, Jimmy Proc that's out there now, my son-in-law, Daniel Hood Grubnick that runs you know, the flavor pack monster energy car for Brittany. It's the people you surround yourself with, but before you get to them, you got to have the money. So it's the sponsors that you surround yourself with. And it's tough finding sponsors right now. So uh, you're only as good as the people around you. And Tony Petragon was a great driver, an Hispanic kid. He's in the box now talking and uh, still beats up on me, but I love the kid. And he won a championship driving for us. And he, and he went on his own and got his own team and won championships. So um, I, I, I can't say that I taught anybody, but I taught him one thing. Surround yourself 
get the money, get the sponsors and surround yourself with the right people that can make you a champion and never give up because it isn't the road you go down. It, it, it's not where you end up. It's the journey. That's why you do it or you're wasting your time. Racing is a lot of work. Well, early in your life, you, you <laughs> learned how to be scrappy. You overcame some incredible adversity. You talked about having polio as a child and moving around as a child, living that really what you described as a transient lifestyle. Talk to me about John Force's childhood. When they first talked about doing my book and it's already been written, they've written it three times. The guy says, I like the early days, the grapes of wrath. You know what I mean? How you lived in the back of a dump truck with a tarp on top and your parents would go up the coast and pick potatoes and stuff. And they used to tie a rock to a rope to your leg so they wouldn't lose you out in the fields, right? Picking berries or whatever we picked. And it was rough. But my mom and my mom came from Oklahoma, the Grapes of Wrath, like the movie, the Grapes of Wrath. She lived it. And, and um, uh, along that road, I learned so much just about the basics of life, how to share, how to be good with people, how to, you know, how to just make things right. Um, you know, I ain't saying I've been a perfect employer, uh, a boss, uh, but I try to get right. I'm the first guy, if I, in the heat of battle, I say something wrong, I go back and I apologize. And that, I forgot your question. What was the question? No, just your childhood. That, that's it. And, and that's where it came up. So I had polio as a kid. Uh, they did a cartoon book on me that they took me. Uh, uh, we were in a logging camp in Oregon. I just started to walk. I was born in 49 and I just started to walk uh, in, in the 50 and 51. And then I quit walking and they didn't have a hospital to take me to in a logging camp in the middle of nowhere. My dad took me to a church and there was these three nuns there that overlooked me and, and said, well, uh, they thought I had spinal meningitis, you know, He's losing his legs. And, and, and uh, my cousin Richard got it at the same time. It was like the pandemic that we just come out of. You know what I mean? And they gave us all shots and lined us up. There was a big special on polio the other day that I didn't even know about, that, that how it really evolved, giving children the shots, and some did get sick from it. Well, in the middle of it, my cousin was paralyzed from the waist down his whole life. Me, I went on, I played football. I got one leg a little ugly, a little shorter. You know what I mean? A lot of people say they don't even notice it when I'm in bathing trunks. But uh, I hold the record at Bell Gardens High School, nine games a season, three years as a quarterback, lost every game. <laughs> and when I got to college, the guy goes, whatever made you think you could be a quarterback? I love wearing a helmet. I played Pop Warner football. I was just ferocious, a tiger. Uh, I'd tackle you and bite you on the foot, right? And the coach said, uh, I don't know if this is where you want to be. And I, I want to wear a helmet. I want the cheer of the crowd. I want the camaraderie of the team. And Gene Beaver, my mentor in those days said, get a race car, let it do a, the running for you. And when you're bullshit, you'll go a long ways. And here I am still telling the stories to you. And you probably don't even care, but I'm still telling them. I care about every one of them and I've been entertained by them over the years. And, you know, 72 years old, you, two weeks ago, you're up in new England, you want to race. So congratulations on that. Take me back to the moment that you knew you wanted to be a race car driver. Yeah. But you got to understand when you grow up in a trailer court, you know, uh, 
uh, trailer court trash. I can remember being called that. Okay. And, and uh, five brothers and sisters. And the minute I had 22 tickets, they took me to DMV and they said, we're taking his license forever. This guy's nuts. Like, how did this happen? But most of my tickets were for broken headlights, windshields broke. I had tickets, but I was on a motorcycle. Everybody else had Hondas in those days. I still got a Honda upstairs just to prove I could have one that I dreamed of in my childhood. I had a Cushman. I told my dad, I got a Cushman scooter I got to ride on. And there are all the other big guys got Hondas and they can jump over fences, but we didn't have no money. And, and that, that was, so when I got to get on a Cushman, I was able freedom from that trailer. I could run away. You know, I say to my kids, do you ever eat off a TV tray? They go, what's a TV tray? I was there at the Trees of Mystery in, in uh, Crescent City, uh, California, when they first saw a microwave. My mom worked in there. They come in, there's a thing, oven, you can cook things in. My kids never ate off a TV tray. They, they didn't understand oh, what a meal was. You pulled the lid off and you ate. You know what I mean? They never, so, so my childhood was poverty. And that's why, you know, my shoes were passed on down to me from my brothers. You know what I'm saying? And, and along the way, I remember at Christmas, uh, getting a log truck. Uh, I still got it in my museum. And, and, and my grandchildren, I mean, my brothers and sisters said, we don't want any gifts. We want John to get everything. I'll cry now telling this story. We want mom, we're poor. We, we didn't have a turkey for Christmas. My dad caught a fish to give us a fish in a logging camp. Yeah, was it poverty? But that's what made me go down a road. And, and, and all these years of starving and racing, and I'm working my way back there, by the way, that I never did ever look at I was poor. I thought, you know, Dolly Parton sang a song about that, that bed of uh, that thing she wore that her mother sewed her you know, of all different colors was her most important thing in her life. And that's how I look at life. And, and my mom and dad took care of me. And, and when I got a car, I know I got off the track, but the minute I got a car, I was out in that car, getting away, sitting out in front of Taco Bell. Taco Bell used to have fire pits. Nobody knows that. That's how old I am. And we'd stand out there till two in the morning. You know what I'm saying? And, and that was a way of life. So the car was an escape. So I knew from day one, racing cars and I did them in high school took my mom's Buick Wildcat to the racetrack and because my the car I went to the racetrack ran out of gas in and I went back and got her car I came home to the trailer at two in the morning I won my first trophy and I was going to show mom and dad and my dad was standing out there and I heard him fire up that chainsaw and I thought what's he going to do cut my head off he sawed my surfboard in half I made in high school because I was a surfer out in the beaches of California and I loved it. And he sawed the one thing in my world, my surfboard. He sawed it now. I wanted to kill him, but he was teaching me a lesson. You never take your mother's car. So anyway, uh, that was the way it was. So cars were an escape for me. So why not go to what you love? And I drove trucks because trucks, uh, you know, were an escape for me. With my class one, I could go anywhere. You know what I mean? And I could make a good living. And then I got into racing, had my own truck. And here I am. And that ain't what you asked. I forgot what he asked. That, I want to ask you, I want to ask, I want to hear from John Force about winning. I mean, I'm, I'm talking to someone who has more 
championships than than he has fingers uh, to put championship rings on. And I I want to talk about the relationship you've had throughout your life and your career with winning because for, for so many years I'm not going to say it came easy, but you were so dominant and so intimidating. But winning wasn't always a, a regular occurrence for you. And, and as, as the changes in your career have happened, it, you know, the, the winning is becoming, it was hard in the beginning and, and now it's sort of getting hard again. What's your relationship with winning? I, I spent the first 10, 12 years losing. So to even get to a final round, I was happy. You know what I'm saying? I wanted to get to an interview and they always interviewed me, Steve Evans and people, because they wanted to hear the stories. Because no matter what I was doing that moment, I had some other story I could tell them. And they loved it and it was entertaining. And, uh, but Austin Coyle, I teamed up. He owned the Chi-Town Hustler, uh, Farconis Coyle and Minnick out of Chicago. And, and I hired him, but the guy was a genius. And he worked in a car dealership, building cars. And, uh, but they were winning with the Chi-Town Hustler. Frank Hawley drove it. And in the middle of it, I talked him into going with me. And he goes, I don't know why I'm doing this. It's the craziest thing. Hi, Brittany. It's the cra- craziest thing. But Hi, I went down the road. And I surrounded myself with people that had the knowledge to make you a winner. But I had to find the money to hire them. I remember Coyle, I said, after two years, we hadn't won a race. I said, we never won a race. And you're the great Austin Coyle. You, you won championships with NHRA. And he goes, yeah, and you told me you had a million dollars. You ain't got 10 bucks. And that's how we live. But we became best of friends. We still are to this day. He right down the street. I'm on the phone with him all the time at the races where he's telling me, get your head together. You go up that starting line. Don't let nobody get in your head. Even in those days, no matter how good you do, how good you win, you still become that same kid. You go back to mom. You need me, honey? You've heard all these stories. There's, my, uh, there's a driver of the Monster Energy Flavor Pack, Top Field Dragster. World NHRA world champion, Brittany Vars, right there. Hey, Brittany, congrats. That's my retirement, Brittany, right there. <laughs> so in the middle, and Robert Heights, my retirement. But in the middle of it, um, you didn't, you did it because you loved it. Uh, you know, I won my first championship. Um, uh, I got out of the car and they said, you're the champion. And I was so shocked. I was sweating so hard. I, I, it's like when I won my first race at Montreal. I beat Ed the Ace McCullough. I jumped out of the car and there was no camera. My whole life, I waited for a camera to do an interview. There was no camera crew up there. Diamond P Sports with Steve Evans. I had, I always say, two drunken Canadians, and they were the best up there. They come running over to me. Oh, they got pictures of me. And uh, somebody sent me a video they took from the stands. So it never went exactly how I thought it would be. You know what I mean? Uh, but uh, just to be a part of it, it was, it was unbelievable. And, uh, but I got that first win and then I went back and then I won in, in Columbus, Ohio, a few weeks later. And, uh, um, it, it just shows you, 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 it just starts. And then I won in 1990. Then I won in 91. That's two. And everyone said, well, you won a couple championships. That'll be over. Then in 93, we got stupid and I got outrun by Tony's brother, Cruz Pentagon in the hamburger stand from hell mcdonald's hamburger and i couldn't do nothing right we were so far ahead in the points we got tune up got stupid and 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 i lost but we came back after that and coyle said we're not going to make that mistake again and we won 10 straight new york yankees never won 10 straight so yeah i got 153 wins i've got 16 championships 20 something as an owner but 
but in the real world, uh, I was only as good as the people, the sponsors. Uh, uh, what made me great was the cheer of the crowd. I get up to it now. I stand out there and I feed off it. I'll be standing there. Someone will I, I see drivers out there exercising, getting pumped up, getting their energy up. And I'm sitting there staring at the, because I feed off the energy of that sound of the crowd. And um, that's what, that is the one thing. If I have, a, if I have a, anything that would be called a superhero thing, it would be the fact that I can feed off the roar of the crowd. And that makes me young again. You know what I mean? I don't go out there and think I'm 72 years old. Let me tell you, in NASCAR and IndyCar, I couldn't do it because I couldn't drive around for two or three hours. But I could do it for three to four seconds. I can be the best at that moment. And oh, I'm not like the kids. I had to go, you know, lose a bunch of weight. I had to get on workout exercises. I got where I couldn't climb the stairs. The doctor says, you keep doing this, you're going to tip over and have a heart attack. I said, well, I owe NHRA. They gave me my life. If I'm going to go down, I, don't, I ain't going down on a rocking chair. I'm going down on a racetrack somewhere in America. And the fear. That's my of, story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> I want to talk about fear. I, I mean, the fear of losing, the fear of not. I thought fulfilling. you were going to say beer. I haven't drank a beer. I drank for, I left <laughs> oh, Australia in 75. I never had a beer until I was 25 years old. And then I drank for the next 40 years. But I quit <laughs> drinking beer. I have some wine every now and then. Well, you, you, you talk, you rattled off a lot of numbers there, but I think a lot of people don't know the number of broken bones you had in your whole life. And I, I you know, I want you get in, inside this race car that goes over 300 miles an hour. You have been in an, some amazing, spectacular wrecks every week. You put your life on the line. And then the other side is you, you watch your family, your daughters get into a race car. What's the scaredest you've ever been? Well, first of all, let me say something. I wasn't going to say it, but you said it already to the fans. So you let the cat out of the box. The superhero thing that I have is the race car. Superman had his cape. When I get in the car, I become Superman. I've actually driven those cars, okay, uh, with the big S on the hood. But it, it makes you young again because now you have all the power in the world, the best team behind you. It'll make you roar down that racetrack and you can beat anybody. You know what I'm saying? But I tell you something, when I lose to somebody, I get out and people say, how can you act? Most drivers are mad. I, I, no, I, I, I want to feed off of that guy that beat me. And I don't want to tell them all the secrets, how I do it. Everybody does it their own way. But I feed off the crowd and that car makes me a superstar. And, and even when I'm not, I still believe I am a superstar, right? Even at my pathetic age. But I tell them, get off the couch. Don't, don't let anyone, don't let the old man in. I thought Austin Coyle said it. Clint Eastwood said it. Don't let the old man in. Do this as long as you love it. And that's what I do. I tell fans all the time, don't go sit on the couch. Oh, getting up's hard. I know all about getting up. I, I broke my arms and legs. They told me, you're done. They put me in the hospital in Miami in the, in the head deal. They said, you're finished. We saw the videos. We don't need to do any looking at your head. The videos are enough to tell you, you've whacked your head a hundred times. You're probably brain dead now and you just don't know it. You just talk so good. But in the middle of it, I never let anybody tell me that because racing is my life and it's my family's life. And I've got to be here for my grandkids if they want to race. If they don't, God bless them. But I don't want to ever say, I can't help you. I want to be there for them. So the race car is what 
makes me who I am today. It's, it's pathetic. I've had men say to me, you know how old you are? Don't you think you ought to take a little retirement? You know, if I lose my sponsor, I'll find another one. I'll find a way to go. You know, maybe I'll retire in a funny car and maybe I'll go to top field. Who knows what I'm going to do? But as long as I got this fire in my belly, I'm going to keep doing it. And I believe I can win. And right now I'm running with the kids. I'm, I ain't as great as none of them. They can all beat me on the light. Every driver out there can beat me on the light. I just roll in there deep and put out the top bobs. I do whatever I can do to win. Makes me look good on paper, but it ain't real. But I'm able to stay in the hunt. I get my fire up and that's what I do. So if there's any superpower, it was never me. I'd say it was the crew chiefs like Daniel Hood that run my car, the, the Brian Karates, the Mike Neffs, the Jimmy Prox, the Steve Plugers, you know, Austin Coyle, Bernie Federley. That car is a superpower. It ain't John Force. If anybody thinks that, well, they're just wasting their time. Early in your career, you were in a terrible wreck in Memphis. And there's a famous line that you uttered. Uh, I saw Elvis at a thousand feet. Describe what was going through your mind during that wreck. Well, I was a big Elvis fan. I mean, I used to sing on stage and do Elvis Presley impersonations. I was a terrible singer, but I had the long hair and the wave and long sideburns and all that stuff. And, but I loved it. And, and along the road, um, uh, you know, I got a car that went into Graceland, but we were racing at Memphis. So it was all about Elvis. Everything was Elvis. And let me tell you something. Look at that era. He's still out there, still out selling everybody, still, still the king. You know what I'm saying? But in the middle of it, Kenny Bernstein had run ahead of me in top fuel and he got out, his car was coming with the return road and they were sponsored by Budweiser. And that car rolled, it was terrible. End over end, on fire. Uh, I remember crawling out on my hands and knees. I was burning, I could smell my skin. I crawled out on my hands and knees and I'm thinking, man, you're alive. This thing didn't kill you. And I looked back and I saw these guys running and I'm waiting for a TV camera to come over there to interview me. And it's a bunch of guys with shirts. And I said, Jesus, somebody sent me a Budweiser. And I never even thought it was Bernstein, his guys in uniform. And then when I got up, I said, pull yourself together. Are you okay? Yeah, where's the cameras? There was nothing left but the camera. You know, uh, the car's destroyed. And uh, first thing the guy goes, what did you see? Well, what am I going to tell him? I saw the guardrail and crashed. I saw Elvis at a thousand foot. And now I've said it so many times, I believe I did. So Elvis got me out of Graceland alive. And, uh, and um, I, I listened to the music today. The other day, some guy got out, Tasca got out, uh, won the ra race. And he, they go, how do you get up? And he said, I just was listening to Elvis Presley in the staging lanes. Yeah, I was coming out of John Force's car. One of my guys were playing it. And look, we're corny. We're, you know, we should be P.T. Barnum. That's what we do. We're the biggest circus. You know, we put up our big tents and our trailers and our trucks, and we entertain the people. We don't even have elephants. They don't have elephants anymore anyway. Do they? I don't know. So in the end, it's what we do. What's the next question? What, what's the craziest thing you've ever done? Um, drank too much on the Long Beach freeway. Got out on the roof. I bought an old beater limousine back in those days that I used to haul sponsors back and forth at the airport to impress them, and it didn't. And I kept my surfboard on the roof of it. And I crawled out on the roof through the hatch because I drank too much beer and stood 
on that surfboard on the freeway to prove to everybody I could do it. And when I got down in there, when I got home, my dad beat the poop out of me. He said, you're the dumbest kid I got. Why would you do something stupid like that? I said, it was just in the moment. So I've learned that, that when I drink and I don't drink much anymore, I get, you know, I need to stay in the game with these kids. But at the end, I, I, I don't let alcohol ever take me anywhere like it did in the early days. And how I survived it, I don't know. But uh, I, I respect it. I drink in moderation if I do it all. But I'm not doing anything stupid anymore because God let me get away with a lot of stuff that I should have killed myself along. Wrecks and race cars, that just happens. But some of the things I did was really stupid. And uh, um, But like my dad said, you're the dumbest kid I got. I was never really very bright. But I kept throwing poop at the wall and I got it fainted. Didn't I say that in this interview yeah. or was that the other one? Yes. We'll take both clips. They were both unique and great. Yeah. I, wanted to, I wanted to say I, I, I've been fortunate to have some really amazing storytellers on this podcast. And you are one of the greatest storytellers that I have ever encountered. Do you consider yourself an entertainer in addition to being an athlete? Well, I couldn't label myself an entertainer. I'm an athlete is what I am. I know that's been a debate, but I think people that drive race cars have to be in shape mentally, physically. Um, um, but an entertainer, I, I try to give the people what they want. They want to hear that you won or that you lost, uh, but, but they also, they want to be entertained and you get theatrical with it. My mother, when my mother was cooking in a Denny's restaurant or a foster freeze, she would cook and tell stories to the people and the line would be a mile long. In my museum, I've got a door over here. It don't have a restaurant where we cook food, but it says Betty Ruth's Diner. You know what I mean? I, I keep stuff like that mentally to keep me right. Uh, you know, where I came from, you know what I'm saying? And my mom and dad, they, they were my life. They taught me uh, uh, what we went through as kids, starving to death. You know what I mean? And yet when you looked at it, it was the greatest life of all. You know what I mean? that my mom and dad were good people. They took care of you. And, and, and they always said, you don't forget family. And if, boy, if you ever did, oh boy. And to this day, I call my brother Louie, who, who really got me into racing, got me here, got me all this way, uh, helped me in the very beginning. And he's retired military army vet. In, he's in Florida, but I talk to him. I, I try to talk to him every week. My oldest brother, Walker, uh, was L.A. sheriff, and then he was in the FBI for a period of time, and and uh, he wanted me to go in the, the sheriff's department. I flunked the inkblot test, okay? He told me when they take an inkblot test, don't tell them you see snakes and, and devils. Tell them everything's beautiful women. And So I told them that, and they said, this guy is nuts. He never saw anything bad. So remember that when you take an inkblot test. But um, this is where I was meant to be. The car does the running for my legs. And if I'd been end over end, I, I, remember, I remember looking out and the bone was sticking up of, of almost six inches out of my fire suit where they cut it open because I broke my leg. My wrist was broke. My arm was broke. My ankle was broke. And, and I was financially broke. But I looked out the window of this helicopter and I could see people cheering me. And it just... Uh, it just took me somewhere. Now you're going to make me cry. Now you've done it. Okay, so the cheer of the crowd, it just made me love them, how much they love you. 
and you're trying to kill yourself to show them how much you love them. And then all of a sudden, everything goes wrong. And you're laying there and it's over. The, the medic people are crying, looking at you from NHRA, the safety safari. Oh God, he's going to kill himself. Coyle walked out of here the last crash. He said, you know, you won the championship. I'm done. I'm retiring. And I said, why, Austin? He said, I ain't going to sit around and watch you kill yourself. And he walked out. You call him and ask him. He said, you just live this thing like you think you're something special. This thing going to get you one day. But if that's what I want, if, if I got to go, that's how I want to go. And I don't want to go. I like it right here on earth. You know what I'm saying? But when they took me to the hospital, the guy said, you'll probably be on a cane the rest of your life or a crutch. You ain't going to drive no more because you broke everything. Everywhere that you need, that if, if you go to fall down, you can't catch yourself. Your wrist is broken. Your arms, you, you're a mess. Be lucky, if, you know. But I lived in, I stayed in Baylor, Texas, you know, for six, seven weeks. And I started rehab there. And then I came home to rehab and I lived it. And I came back and I won a lot of championships. So don't let anybody tell you, get off that couch. Don't matter how old you are. Don't let the old man in. Get up and do what you love to do, whatever that is. And that will make you live a long time. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to live a long time. Well, that feels like a great place to end. John Force, the legend. Thank you for joining us on the Sports Mentoring Project. And I wish you a lot of luck the rest of the season. Get, go get some more wins. I make my own luck with the people around me. And whether I win or lose, that doesn't matter to me. I want to win. But even when I lose, I see another young kid coming up there. I see a Robert Height, or I see a Caps or a Hagen, and I know what they're feeling. I felt all that. This life has really been great to me. I got no bitches. When I go out, I'm gonna go out swinging. And that, you took me too far here. Too long of an interview, sir, I gotta go. God bless you. God bless. Thanks, John.